I'm Pastor Alvin. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad to have you here this morning. Hope you've had a good time already. And uh, one of the thrills is watching kids. I, I love the energy and I love some of the stories you hear about them. And um, one six-year-old woke up this morning to say to his mom, Mom, I don't like wearing button-down shirts, but it's Mother's Day, so I will do that for you today. Isn't that sweet? Somebody loves his mom, and um, my mom would be proud of me, too, wearing a jacket and button-down shirt, right? So we're just really pleased that you're here this morning. And uh, just a reminder, you can catch up on uh, our previous messages on our website. Just go to... Uh, cdac.ca slash messages, and they're all there. Uh, if you have insomnia, it will help you at night. So uh, you can go there, catch up. Inside your program this morning are sermon notes, so you can also access them on uh, Uversion app, Bible app. Just go to events, uh, rather more events, and uh, click on Circle Drive, and they should come up for you. You can Add to them, you can save them, and you can share them. And if you scroll down, you'll find a Parent Queue app, which is really important for grandparents and parents. It uh, gives you ideas and conversational starters that you can have with your children, and it keeps the conversation going from uh, behind the stage today. So the last uh, couple of weeks, we looked at <clears throat> a couple of words, faith and hope. Because we're, we're talking about why faith doesn't work. And for some of you, your faith hasn't worked. And so we're addressing this very sensitive issue uh, here. And uh, we said that a lot of people have the kind of faith that we call circumstantial faith. And that's really why it doesn't work. And it goes something like this. You pray and you ask God to do something for you. And if, you ha if God, if it happens to work out, you say, yay, God, isn't God good? I'm so blessed with, with what he has done. However, if you pray and nothing happens, you tend to conclude that God doesn't exist. And if something really bad happens and dis you're really disappointed, then... Uh, you will abandon faith. You will say there is no God. And so that's kind of circumstantial faith. Last week, we talked about the definition of faith. We said that it was faith is confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do. And this means we are to pray in sync with God's promises. He doesn't promise to do everything you ask, but there are some things that he promises. And that's what we can be confident that he will answer. Now, the bridge between hope and faith we talked about last week is the promise of God. Some of us hope for things, but in order for them to become true, our faith has to be based on what God has promised. Faith is God, and here's what you promised, God, and I'm holding you to your promise. That's faith. So last week we were going to 
I said we were talk about when God says no, but I feel I need to talk about something else today before we get to the no word. So we'll talk about when God says no to your promises next week. So today I want to uh, talk a few minutes about and answer the question, what has God promised? What has God promised? Because if God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do, what has God promised? And this is a good Sunday for you to be here, uh, particularly if you're not a Jesus follower or if you're exploring faith. And I, and I recognize some of you are here under duress. You said to your mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she said, come to church with me, and you're here, and you're just, oh, and hardly wait to get to the buffet line. And I understand this, but we want to just talk a few moments today about what has God promised? Now, in your worldview or your religious thought, uh, you would like to figure out how to get what you want, when you want it, <coughs> excuse me, from God. And I want us to look at uh, just a short section in Hebrews chapter 4, because we would, for many of us, we'd like to fit God into our little box. We would like a manageable God. We'd like to kind of control what he does. Now, this is... Uh, especially true if you are a parent, and in particular a mother. And I'm guessing you spend a lot of time thinking and praying about your kids. How do I get them to do what I want them to do? How do I get them to do what I need them to do? And better yet, how do I get God on my side in order to get my kids to do what they should do, to shape them up? Now, when you read the Bible... God is way bigger than that. And he cannot fit into your little box so that you can carry around this God and manipulate him. Now, this may be a downer for some of you, but the best way to figure out that we cannot command God is to read the stories about Jesus and what happened to his followers. If you want to know how faith in God affects the real world, these stories about Jesus' followers will help you understand that. The men who had the greatest faith in God, most of them were martyred. Some of them were put on islands and kind of sequestered and uh, persecuted until they died. Yet they had incredible faith in spite of the bad things that happened to them. So one thing that we learn is that God has not promised bad things happening to people who, that believe in him. This is very important to understand. So if bad things happen to you, it doesn't mean that God hates you or he doesn't love you. So if, if you haven't been beaten to within an inch of your life, you are doing better than Jesus' closest followers. This is good news, isn't it? The other thing is, people close to Jesus did not become wealthy because of their faith. I think the, the thing that gave them credibility was that they weren't wealthy, that they followed Jesus in spite of 
what they could get from him. They had extraordinary faith. Now, why was it? Why did they have this faith? And here's the answer. They saw Jesus die on a cross and laid in a tomb dead, and three days later they had breakfast with him on the beach. Now, anybody who can do that, I want to follow that guy. And they would say, I don't know if there's anything in this for me, but I'm telling you what I saw. Now, read the book of Acts this afternoon because it will tell you all the stories of these great people who had faith. Now, God does not make every follower of him wealthy. But, you know, truthfully, if you woke up this morning in a warm bed and you had something to eat and you drove here in your vehicle, you're rich compared to a great percentage of the world. But there are some people that God makes extraordinarily wealthy, and I like that. I like that he does that. God has allowed us to be rich, but he has not promised us that as our birthright of being his followers. It's one of those things that you say, I hope so. You know, I hope I get wealthy. But when you read the New Testament, you find that Jesus went around healing people, but he did not even heal everybody. When you look at John chapter 5, there's a story about this pool in Jerusalem, in the middle of Jerusalem, and all kinds of lame people and people who needed a touch of God to be healed. They, they sit around the pool, and once in a while an angel would stir the waters, and the first person in would get healed. Now, there was a lame man that was there for a long, long time. And he, when the waters were stirred, he could never get himself over to the pool before somebody else got in there. And so, for years, he was the guy around the pool waiting for the angel, that, and he just couldn't get there. And one day, the story tells us that Jesus walked up to the man and he said, get up and go home. And he was healed. Now, the question I always have is, why didn't he say that to everybody around the pool? Hey, just go home. But he didn't. There was just one guy that he singled out and he was healed. Now, I don't know why this is, but once in a while, once in a while, Jesus heals miraculously, but not the majority of time. Not the majority of time. Most of the people, most of the time, people pray for healing, and the answer is no. But I want you to understand that there's a link between the promise of God and faith. Years ago, uh, our church used to have a New Year's Eve service. And it, what it was, was we'd have potluck, we'd eat together, and then we'd set up a mic right there. And people could come forward and just tell their story and yay God, and we'd go home. And there was this man, his name was Art Dickman. Some of you might remember that name from years and years and years ago. And Art had a stage four cancer, and he was going through chemo treatment and back in the day 
uh, cancer treatment wasn't as refined as it was today. And so he was a ghost of a person because he had lost so much weight. He was just white in his face. You could see how the disease had been eating away at him. And Art was sitting way in the back, just the last section. And I saw him got up, and he started to walk down the center aisle here. And I thought, oh, my goodness. He's just a little form of Art. And he's probably coming here New Year's Eve to say goodbye to the family, to the church family. And he stood at the mic right here. And he said, I was reading my Bible the other day and the words of David. And he said, it stood out. It just came alive in my spirit. And he said, I took it as a promise. And the words were, you shall not die, but you shall live. And you will declare the glory of God. Check it out in the book of Psalms. And I thought, oh my goodness, is this ever risky? And sure enough, God touched Art Dickman and he lived another 15 years and he died of natural causes. And it's the promise of God. It came alive in his heart and he had faith in the promise and God gave him extra life. Now here's another hard one. God has not promised to reverse the consequences of bad decisions that you make or I make. But every once in a while, you might get a break. And that's just God. And God does not promise to bail us out of bad decisions every time. Now that should never stop us from asking God and hoping that he will respond. Sometimes he does. Sometimes we can hope. But unless the promise comes, our faith will not be complete. So what has God promised? That's the question today. What has God promised? And that's what faith is all about. He has not promised that you'll be rich. He has not promised you to spare you from trouble. He has not promised you to relieve you from past bad decisions. Now, every once in a while, people say, you know, I have a life verse. And they've, you know, typed it out. Uh, they printed it out. They placed it on their mirror. And usually their life verse goes like this. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope in the future. And you think, oh, man, that's my life verse. Can I give you a verse that nobody chooses? And you find it in John 16, 33. It says, I have told you these things so that you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. No one claims that as their life verse. Oh, thank you, God, in this world I'm going to have trouble. But, he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Meaning in the end, things will work out if you know the end of the story. Now, Jesus is giving us a heads up. He was realistic by saying that he's not, he, is, he is not promising that you'll have a life of trouble free. The reason we have trouble is we live in this world and not in heaven. We live in this world. So if you are not a Jesus follower and looking in on this Christian life, this is a great time. 
because there are some promises that God has actually made for us. So we're going to look at Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14, and it begins by saying this, therefore, now remember, Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who began to believe in Jesus. And these Jewish Christians were under the impression that Jesus was coming back very soon. In fact, they sold their possessions and uh, had money in the bank. I don't know why they did that, if they thought Jesus was coming anyways. And they were persecuted. They were, they've lost their jobs. Some of them, their family began to reject them. And so they were saying, what have we done starting to believe in Jesus? And the writer says, therefore, since we have this great high priest, and, the, and being Jewish, they understood that the high priest represented them to God. Who has ascended into heaven? Jesus, the Son of God. Now, he says, since this is true, guys, listen, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now, there's, this is the foundation of faith, he's saying. And this is, here's the new information. He says in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Now, look at this again. We do not have a high priest, but we have Jesus who functions as our high priest, who empathizes with our weaknesses, he says. Now, there's a difference between empathize and sympathize, isn't there? Now, when you sympathize, you say, I've never been in that situation, but I'm so sorry for you. That's sympathy. Empathy is, I've been there, and I know exactly what you feel, and I'm with you, knowing how that has impacted your life. Now, this is a big difference because it matters how you picture God. When you come to Jesus, please understand when you pray, you're talking to a Savior who says, I know, I know, not just I know what has happened to you, but I know what it feels like. I have been there. Now, listen to the rest of this verse. But we have one who has been tempted. And notice the phrase, the next phrase, in every way. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Now, just think about this. Now, we'll get to the promise in a moment. But when you pray, please understand that the door that you are walking into, Jesus has felt every last emotion that you have experienced. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Jesus spent a, a night dreading the events of the following day. Anybody here dread the events of the following day besides having an exam, you know? But have you ever dreaded the next day, the events of the next day? Some of you are waiting for a court date. Some of you are waiting to go to the hospital. Probably most of you have spent a sleepless night or two because of the events of the following day. And if you're a mom, you've spent many of those days dreading the next day. Your Savior 
has spent a sleepless night dreading the next day when he would be tried falsely and put to death. He understands. How about rejection? Have you experienced rejection, the betrayal of a closest friend? Some of you know what, what that's like. Your partner walked out on you. You married because you were best friends and now they're gone. Some of you know what it feels like for someone to place a hook in your soul and then rip it out. Someone gossiped about you. Jesus watched his closest friends walk out of him. Peter said, I don't know him. Those servant girls said, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? He said, but don't know him. How about rejection of a family member? Doesn't that one hurt? Jesus experienced crushing temptation. Just pause with these three alone. That should change the way in which you approach God in prayer. It should change the inclination to talk to him about the things that we have in our own soul, the things that we need to explain to God. Now listen how the, the verse ends. It says, yet did he, Jesus, did he not sin? Every time you sin, listen to me, it blurs our vision, the ability to see straight. When we sin and we keep on sinning, soon we're living in a fog. Yet Jesus, it says, never sinned even though he was tempted. And then the next verse is absolutely huge. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence, he says. Confidence, not with formality, because formality kills intimacy. If you've been raised in a religious tradition that leads you to approach God with formality, listen, that's not God. It's not God. You can never offend God. God invites you to call him his, your father. And so he says, I want you to come to the throne of grace with confidence. And he says, I want you to come with boldness. I want you to come with boldness so that you may receive and he says, I want you to expect that when you come to God, you will receive something and expect something. And here's the first thing that you can receive. Mercy. Mercy. He says, I want to give you mercy. Not because it's a serious issue, but because it's your issue. I want you to know that you will receive mercy when you come to me. His mercy reminds us that he not only knows what has happened, but he knows how it feels. Sometimes we think that, you know, we can't take life anymore. We've had it up to here, and one more thing, and we're just going to snap. And then what happens? Maybe a friend phones. Your friend says, hey, want to have lunch? And you go to lunch, and you, you just can't help it, but you're so emotional, 
as you pour out your life and your problems to your friend. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, you know what? Your heavenly Father is just like that. When you come to him, he wants you to experience his mercy that he's all ears about your issue. And not only is he all ears, but he understands and he, he has experienced it. He can empathize with you. Now, mercy is Jesus standing outside of Lazarus' grave when he already knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. And it says that he saw the crowds and he saw his friend Mary and Martha and they were weeping over their, their brother Lazarus who had been in the, in the tomb for four days. And it says that Jesus wept. Jesus entered into the pain of his friends and he showed the crowd that he loved Lazarus. And it was a message that echoes through all of eternity that our Savior understands that he gives mercy and sometimes mercy, just that mercy, takes the pressure off. And then he says, the writer says, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace to help us in our time of need. Grace in this context, text, is strength and energy to endure. Now, God has not promised to deliver us from our circumstances, but he has promised to deliver us through all of them. He might not miraculously heal you, but he will promise to deliver you through whatever is ailing you. Many of you could stand here this morning and tell your story of how you begged God and nothing changed, but you look back and you understand that you were given endurance to press through. And I've heard some people say to me, I hated those circumstances, but looking back, I wouldn't change a thing because I, I experienced the grace and the enduring power of God. Now, here's the thing. Your spouse may not come back. Your daughter may not call you. Your finances may not improve. But instead, when we lean into God, we find mercy and grace that carries us through. Realistically, we want a formula. I grew up under a teaching of a religious teaching of you did A, B, C, God would do X, Y, Z. And I discovered through the, through the hard knocks of life, I was doing A, B, C, and God was not doing X, Y, Z, and we went a decade like that, and I was mad at God. And then I was disillusioned. And I was a pastor. And that was hard. So I went to the scriptures and, and said, look, what's going on, God? Like, are you ticked with me? Like, have I done something? And I understood that faith is not performance and then God owes me. I can't lasso him into doing something. It just doesn't work that way. I don't even want to go back to that kind of faith. 
Sometimes we want God to give us an intervention. And you know what happens? We want justice for other people. Isn't that the case? God, change that person. God, get rid of that boss. God, do something to make my life feel better. We want grace and mercy coming our way. So we ask God to do all these things. God, make that girl break up with her boyfriend and then notice me. God, do this, do that. God, give me a financial bonus to get me out of the soup that I'm in. God, I want my kids to be respectable and manageable. Do you know what we never pray? We never pray, God, I'm such a problem. I'm the problem, God. Please deliver my wife from me. We never pray that. Never. We want grace and mercy. We don't want justice. And here's the thing. We live in an age of grace and mercy. God is not exacting too much justice in the world right now. There will come a day for that. And when you come to Jesus, he extends grace and mercy to you as much as he extends grace and mercy to your enemies. Because God is a God of grace and mercy. And at the end of the world, in the final day, God will bring justice and you will get what you desire and want, but it's bigger than your little life and your little job and your little bank account. And it will be a day and age where sin will end and sorrow will cease and death will be no more. That will be a huge intervention. But until that day, God gives grace and God gives mercy. And every once in a while, God will intervene and he'll break his own rules and he'll allow you to dodge the, circum the consequences of your own sin. And every once in a while, there will be a miraculous healing and he'll do the unusual thing where you want to be so thankful that he brought some justice into the world and he did a miracle. But he does that because he is a merciful father. But don't expect that every time. You'll get disillusioned. You'll get owly. You'll get angry. Remember, Jesus is our high priest who empathizes with you. The foundation of our faith, my friends, is Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years on a cross. And you can ask now anything to do with your own soul from God because he has promised. He has promised to you that if you pour out your heart to him, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from every unrighteousness. That is a promise of God that you can go to the banquet. And in his presence, you will find grace and mercy. And sometimes he gives us what we hope for. But he always, always gives us his presence.
And in his presence, it says, is fullness of joy. It's fullness of joy because he is full of grace and mercy. Now, I understand today's Mother's Day, and it can be for many women a very difficult day. You know why? Because a lot of mothers feel like they haven't measured up. You feel guilty. You know, you, you, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, you're bound to mess up, right? You're bound to mess up. And so you come to this day, and it's supposed to be joyful, and you're not, because all you can figure, you, you can focus on is the one black speck on the white wall. And your brain just goes to that negative thing and what your kid said to you, you know, the other day, you're a lousy cook. <laughs> yeah, this meal's terrible. And so you're just full of guilt. Can I say to you, come to your heavenly Father where he gives you grace and mercy. And you know who you have to give grace and mercy to? Yourself. You've got to be gracious to yourself. You've got to forgive yourself. I don't know how you mothers do it. When I look at what my mother had to put up with, two brothers and a sister, my man. And then I came along, it was perfect. But <laughs> She put up with me. And I know my mom came to Mother's Day and she, she thought she was such a failure. And I thought, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Moms, forgive yourself. Be gracious to yourself. Because your Heavenly Father, who made you and gave you those children, wants you to be gracious to yourself. Extend mercy to yourself. Now, the other reason that Mother's Day is a difficult day is because some of you have had mothers that were addicts and absent and runarounds, and they were horrible characters, and they were dealing with their own demons. And today, you need to honor your mother because she was your mother. She brought you into this world. You don't honor her behavior, her bad behavior, but you honor her. You extend grace and mercy to her because she was your mother. And you do that not for your mother's sake. You do it for your own sake. Because if you hold on to the anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, you will be bound to somebody that you don't want to become like. So give her grace and mercy just as your Heavenly Father extends that same grace and mercy. Could I have all the mothers stand today? All mothers, would you just stand? And all of us honor you today. And in the name of Christ, we bless you 
And let's give all their mothers a hand. Now, everybody who has a mother, everybody stand. And I want to say a prayer, and we're going to go on our way. And may you go with the grace and the mercy of Christ. May you understand that your heavenly Father loves you, and not just sympathizes, but he empathizes with you, and he will walk with you this week. And there's a photo booth open at the end of the service. So you can go there with your mom and take a portrait of yourself. If there's something that we've said this morning that would you want to talk about, there'll be some people here that will talk with you. They'll be available to you. Our Common Ground restaurant is closed for Mother's Day today. And if you're a guest, we have a gift for you at each exit, a book that we would want you to take and enjoy. And I hope you come back with a friend next week that I promise, this time I promise, we're going to talk about when God says no. When you're pleading with him and he says to you, no. What do you do? Let's pray. God, as we go from this place, thank you that your presence was here. Thank you for all the kids that were here today to sing. Thank you for our mothers. And we bless them. God, go with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here.